Happy Sabbath, everyone. It's good to be here with you. We've got an interesting study this morning, and it concerns the good news of Jesus. We're going to talk about that in just a just a moment. Everybody should have a uh, uh, a study I've handed out there. Did everybody get one? We're going to be going through this study, and I know we probably won't get through all of it. We're going to give it a try. But uh, we want to understand what it is that the Lord has for us today. And so let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come here this Sabbath. We humbly ask for the Holy Spirit to be with us. We pray that the Holy Spirit will come into our hearts and our minds and cleanse us from our, our filthiness. Give us discernment and wisdom as we open your word and study this most important topic. This is the mission of uh, that uh, Jesus gave to us. We know the times we're living in, that uh, uh, the time to work is getting shorter and shorter. And so, Father, we pray that you will bless us here this morning. Help us, Lord, to, to have a love for the truth that you, you share with us. And may what we study here and here today bring glory to thy name. We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to talk to you about this morning is what I have entitled the Gospel Cycle. And uh, it, it can also be referred to as the Soul Winning Cycle. And, and so... Um, it's basically a Christian's mission. It's what uh, what Jesus has given for us to do. And we want to take a look at it because there's some aspects of it, um, probably several aspects of it, that aren't being uh, carried out by those of us who claim to be followers of Christ. And so um, I want to begin by reading something that Jesus said out of Luke chapter 4. And... Verses 18 19. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now it says here, this was Jesus' mission, wasn't it? This was his mission, uh, and this was the announcement of his, his, the beginning of his ministry. He goes into the synagogue there, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach, what was it it said there? That's right, the gospel. So let's get to what the gospel is. Question number one. What is the gospel? Well, the word gospel there in in uh, the the New Testament and uh, in this scripture as well, the gospel. The word there in the Greek means good news or the the saying of good news. The term refers to the good news that the Messiah has come to Earth, as foretold by the prophets. Let's look at Mark 1 and verse 1. <clears throat> this is something 
that Mark tells us right off the bat. The beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark declares Jesus to be what? That's right, the Son of God. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Meaning, it's the good news that the Messiah has come. The Redeemer of mankind is here. And that's good news. Now we want to find out, well, this is such good news. Question number two, why was there need for good news? Why was there a need for the gospel, the sharing of this good news? Well, we kind of got to go back to the beginning, don't we? Well, how did we get into this mess, and, and what's the good news to get us out of it? Well, if we start and we look at Revelation chapter 12, and uh, this is familiar to, to many of us. I'm not going to read through all of it, but we see here in verse 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so, here we find that there was a war in heaven. And and we're going to look at, in a moment, what caused this war? What was the war about? Uh, but there was war in heaven, and it was Lucifer and his angels, who who was... Uh, described here as the devil and Satan now, and he fought against Jesus and all the holy angels, and then he was cast out of heaven. Our question still is, you know, why is there need for good news? What was the purpose of the gospel? Well, this was the beginning of it. There was war in heaven, and then he was cast out of heaven. And, and, and by this war, sin was introduced into creation by Satan. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we'll look at uh, uh, verses... Uh, we'll begin with verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, that would be Eve, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden... God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, you notice all these things have to do with Self. She was thinking about herself now, wasn't she? When she saw all these things that it would, she thinks would better her, it says she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And then she gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And so Satan comes down, he's cast out of heaven, he comes to the earth, he tempts man to sin. Eve you know, takes of the fruit, eats, shares with with Adam, her husband, he takes and he eats it. They both become sinners just like Satan. And if you look at verse 15, I mean, that was bad, pretty bad news, right? <laughs> that was pretty bad news. But God comes down into the garden and verse 15 says, this is God speaking. 
And he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. What's enmity? That, that's right, Brother John. It's hatred. It's hatred. So God says he's going to put hatred. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. That was you know, Satan and the woman, the serpent and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, the descendants of both. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This was a a good news to Adam and Eve that there was going to be someone who will come and who will save mankind from their sins. Okay, that's that was good news. But we see here sin was introduced into mankind on earth and the wages of sin is death as it says in Romans 6:23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our lord you see friends a misconception of the character of God which had its origins in heaven uh, as we just read so long ago had continued through the ages to this point in time of, of the arrival of Jesus Jesus comes and remember, we read in Luke 4, he starts his ministry. So here Jesus comes, and he's come to fulfill his promise. You see, God would send his son, this is what he told Adam and Eve, to declare by word and much more by his life, the true character of God. Not what Satan had pictured of God right there in the beginning of the Garden of Eden. He, he brought doubts to the mind of Eve about God's true intentions. And she let that seed into her mind, into her heart, and she sinned. Question three. And now we were wondering, well, what caused this war in heaven? Let's kind of get to that. Question three. Is there a relationship between God's Ten Commandments and the Gospel? Is there a relationship there? Because this is what the war is all about. Let's look at John 15 and verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we see here two components here. We see the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments of God, and we see the love of God. And that's what the gospel is about. It's the good news that God loves us and is sending his Son to save us. And we see here that Jesus is saying, there is a relationship between the two. Go a couple more chapters on in John, to John 17, verses 3 to 4. And this is life eternal, Jesus said, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So Jesus here, we see a relationship between the two, and he's saying that he has finished the work that God sent him to do in um, declaring the true character of God. So there is a relationship between the Ten Commandments of God and the Gospel that we read about. Now I want to share this with you. It's from Christ Object Lessons, page 128. It says, No man can rightly present the law of God without the Gospel or the Gospel without the law. Pay attention to this here. The law is the gospel embodied, and the gospel is the law unfolded. The law is the root, 
the gospel is the fragrant blossom and fruit which it bears. Keep that in your mind. The law is the gospel embodied, and the gospel is the law unfolded. The law is the root. The gospel is the fruit which it bears. Question four. Did Jesus unfold the law of God as he preached the gospel? We read there that the law is the gospel embodied, and the gospel is the law unfolded. Did Jesus unfold the law of God as he preached the gospel? Let's look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, you catch that? If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So what Jesus is saying here is, the good news that he's bringing is, is a second chance for humanity. There's a Redeemer that's coming, a Savior that's coming to save mankind, to give mankind life from death. And then here we read that if we're going to enter into life, we need to keep the commandments. So you are you starting to see that relationship? And, and we see that Jesus did unfold the law of God as he preached the gospel. Question five, did Jesus practice the gospel that he preached? You know, the old saying, you know, don't just talk the talk, but you need to walk the walk, right? So, Jesus came down. Did he? Was he just professing this stuff? Was he created different than us? That's a whole other topic that we, you know, is very misunderstood. So, did Jesus practice the gospel that he preached? And is, is it, are we able to? <laughs> That's the ultimate question, isn't it? But did Jesus practice the gospel that he preached? Matthew 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And it doesn't stop there, right? What else does it say about Jesus? It says, And healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So he didn't just go about preaching words, but he was doing a work of the gospel, right? Question 6. We read that the law is the root of the gospel is the fragrant blossom and fruit which it bears. Well, what was the fruit that Jesus bore? Well, we got a, a sampling of it in Matthew 4.23. Let's look at also to Matthew 9.35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus bore fruits of love. He kept the commandments, which was life. Remember, if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He kept the commandments. He glorified his Father in heaven. And he bore the fruits of that law, which is love to all, by finding their need and filling it and sharing the good news with them. He went about all the cities and villages. He healed every sickness and disease among the people, especially the spiritual sicknesses and diseases that we have. He brought hope to the hopeless. But you notice as you read the gospel that a lot of the work, a lot of the fruit that Jesus uh, produced was in healing or uh, um, raising from the dead, bringing life, like I said, and healing diseases, which is doing away with those things that kill people and bringing life to them. 
And this is a fruit of it. And notice this quote from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, page 168. Genuine medical missionary work is the gospel practiced. And you see, this is what Jesus did. He practiced the gospel. He practiced what he preached. And is it any wonder that health reform is the right arm of the three angels' messages? Now, notice this. I want you to notice something here. Remember, I shared Christ Objects Lessons, page 128, about the laws of the gospel embodied, the gospel is the law unfolded. Now, notice this. This is from Signs of the Times article, uh, November 24th, 1898. The gospel is Christ unfolded, right? The gospel is Christ unfolded, and Christ is the gospel embodied. We are not to worship the gospel, but Christ, the Lord of the gospel. The gospel is glorious because it is made up of Christ's righteousness. Our Savior is a perfect representation of God on the one hand, and a perfect representation of humanity on the other. Thus, he has combined divinity and humanity. So, the gospel is Christ unfolded, and Christ is the gospel embodied. Now remember what we read, Christ Object Lessons. The law is the gospel embodied, and the gospel is the law unfolded. So let's compare these two statements, and, and when we do, we find that the law is the gospel embodied, and Christ is the gospel embodied. Again, the gospel is Christ unfolded, and the gospel is the law unfolded. So we can say that Christ is the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Or better yet, the law is a transcript of the character of God. Isn't that wonderful? Notice this, Signs of the Times, April 11th, 1895. The Lord Jesus is an example in all things. By the works which he did, he made it plain that he was in counsel with the Father and that he was in every move fulfilling the eternal purposes of God. In his obedience to the law of God, he exemplified in his human nature the fact that the law is a transcript of divine perfection. Here's one more from the Watchman, April 23, 1907. Christ draws us to himself because he's been lifted upon the cross of Calvary. He came to the world with the accumulated love of eternity. Sweeping away the exactions which had encumbered the law of God, he showed that the law is a law of love an expression of the divine goodness. He showed that in obedience to its principles is involved the happiness of mankind, and with it the stability, the very foundation and framework of human society. <coughs> you notice there, says that, um, he showed that in obedience to its principles is involved the happiness of mankind. You know, I run into people quite often who say, you know, Everybody just wants to be happy. They want to be happy, but, but then they'll turn around and they'll just do whatever they want. They ignore the law of God, thinking it brings happiness. And this is one of the things that Satan was telling Eve. Oh, you're not really going to be happy. God's trying to hide things from you. You really want happiness. You need to be like God. He, he knows if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him and you will really be happy. But Jesus is saying that no. By keeping the law is what really brings happiness. Obedience to the principles of God brings happiness to mankind. And as we read before, the gospel is glorious because it is made up of Christ's righteousness. Isn't that remarkable?
The gospel is made up of the righteousness of Christ. And that is good news. Because my righteousness and your righteousness, the Bible tells us, is as filthy rags. And so we can attain this righteousness and be changed from a consistent sinner to an obedient member of the family of God. We can become like Jesus in character, for he has overcome sin as a man, being an example to us. We see the Father's character manifested in the life of Jesus, because he, he had perfect obedience. This was the fruit, see, of the law. Perfect obedience to the law. And we can be changed by God into his perfect human image, like Christ. Perfect obedience to the law. Therefore, the heart of the gospel, the very good news, friends, is that Christ and his righteousness can be imputed and imparted to man by faith. That means we can be given credit for, or forgiven, because we're being given credit for what Christ has done for us in dying Calvary, and then we can be given the power by having faith and trust in him and his word to become like Jesus Christ. That, friends, is very good news. Let me read this to you. Review and Herald. Words and Counsel to the Church, July 8, 1909. It is the gospel and the gospel alone that will sanctify the soul. It is this that makes possible to the receiver the life that measures with the life of God. This is the record that God hath given us, even eternal life, and that life is in his Son. He who is partaker of the divine nature will escape the corruptions that are in the world through lust. His faith in Christ as the life giver gives him life. Those who submit their will to the will of God will grow in grace. A faith that works by love and purifies the soul will give them a rich experience. The fruits of the Spirit will be seen in their life, and the efficiency of the Spirit will be seen in their works. Good news indeed. Was uh, What was the fruit that Jesus bore? It was the love of God and the obeying of the commandments and folding of that law of love. It's for just... Wonderful good news that we can become like Jesus in character. And we must, friends, if we're going to see Jesus face to face and spend eternity with, with him. Question number seven. After the followers of Jesus learned and experienced this incredible good news, what did Jesus tell them to do? So they hear the good news, they're experiencing it, they're spending time with Jesus, and Jesus tells them to do something. He gives them some work to do to test the fruit, to see if it's taking hold, you see. Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, Jesus said, Go, ye therefore. What are, what are the first two letters of the word gospel? Now, this is in the English, of course. G-O, right? And Jesus says, Go, ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So Jesus is saying, go therefore and teach. Teach them to do what? To observe all the things that I have commanded you. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, not sit around and wait to, for people to come to you, but go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that's human beings, 
He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And let me tell you something. That word believe, I hear quite often other Christians saying, oh, just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning, just have a mental assent that Jesus was who he said he was. But it takes more than just the knowledge. You see, that word there in the Greek uh, connotes more of a commitment. You see, not only believe with your mind, but you commit your life to Jesus. So you need to commit yourself to Jesus and then be baptized, he says, and you'll be saved. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Ye are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city that's set on a, a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine, he says before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Which is what Jesus said he did. He glorified his Father in heaven. Notice this from Acts of the Apostles, page 28. The disciples were to work earnestly for souls, giving to all the invitation of mercy. They were not to wait for the people to come to them, which is what I was saying. They were to go to the people with their message. And this is what Jesus said, Go ye therefore. That's what we need to do. Testimonies for the Church, volume 9, page 130. God's messengers are commissioned to take up the very work that Christ did while on this earth. They are to give themselves to every line of ministry that he carried on. With earnestness and sincerity, they are to tell men of the unsearchable riches and the immortal treasure of heaven. And so as we look closer at the example of the gospel here, this is why I started this, this study out with what is the gospel and looking at the gospel and the law and the relationship there and, and what Jesus has said for us to do. As we look closer at this example that Christ bore, we see a cycle, you see, of replication was being taught and implemented. And like I said before, I call this the gospel cycle. And there are seven steps to the gospel cycle. First, to identify, organize, teach, and train those who have received and accepted the good news, the gospel of Christ. So we need to identify like believers and come together and organize together uh, have some continued education or teach these people uh, more of the the principles of heaven, train them for service. And, and uh, uh, that's the first step. The second step is make contacts. Now, of course, we're going to get into these individually a little bit more in detail. Second thing, make contacts. we got to make contacts. Jesus said to go to the world. And you got to make contacts in order to share, right? The third thing is, after you make contacts, you introduce and you lift up Jesus. And uh, then, number four, you get a commitment for that person. Then, number five, educate that person in the school of Christ. The gospel. The Bible. And six, and this is what we all need to be doing, and this is part of it, we need to have active hands-on service in sharing the gospel. And then seven, what happens you bring converts in who have heard the gospel. You teach and train new adherents in the good news. You roll right back into number one. And so let's break these down a little bit and uh, look at them one at a time so we can better understand you know, what each one involves in this cycle. So step one in the gospel cycle, identify, organize, teach and train those who have received and accepted the good news, the gospel of Christ. Question eight. 
Jesus gave the disciples a commission, but what was needed before they were to go and teach or implement the gospel cycle? Matthew 4, verses 18-19. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus has walked by sea, and he sees two brethren out there, and, and, and he says, Follow me. Okay? And then I'm going to change you. I'm not, you're not going to be following me to continue to fish for fish, but I'm going to train you to be fishers of men. And so when we look at Jesus, the first thing in the beginning of his ministry uh, that we find is um, was that he, he looked for, he found, and he called and organized those who received and accepted the good news. This is what he did right at the beginning. Organized them together. He identified, called them, organized. Question 9, why are we to be organized? Well, 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Let all things be done decently, and what? In order. In order to accomplish much, you've got to be organized, right? Notice this, Review and Herald, October 12, 1905, is an article entitled, Order and Organization. Notice this. She says, System and order are manifest in all the works of God throughout the universe. Order is the law of heaven. Did you get that? Order is the law of heaven. And it should be the law among God's people on earth. Here's another one from God's Amazing Grace, page 110. In order that the Lord's work may advance healthfully and solidly, His people must draw together. We need to come together and organize. One more. The Adventist Home, page 22. God is displeased with disorder. Do you ever think about that? Now this is as an, at an individual level, as a family, as a church, and on out. God is displeased with disorder, slackness, and a lack of thoroughness in anyone. That's a remarkable statement we need to take to heart. Question 10. What was the church organized for? Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, that's that our individual walk, a perfection of character to be like Christ. For the work of the ministry, which is what we're talking about, the, the gospel cycle, the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come together, see? So the church was organized for these three things. Notice this. Acts of the Apostles, page 9. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service. And its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. So the church was organized, were to be organized for service. One more. Adventist Home, page 37. The first work of Christians is to be united in the family. You catch that? Then the work is to extend to their neighbors nigh and afar off. Those who have received light are to let the light shine forth in clear rays. Their words, fragrant with the love of Christ, are to be a savor of life unto life. But the first work, as we're converted, our first work is to be united in the family. So we're to take the gospel to our family, you see. And we'll, you know, and as we organize, that will ripple out. See, from our family to our neighbors to the church. I'll talk about that, I think, in a moment here if we can get to it. Step two in the gospel cycle. 
make contacts. Question 11. How was the gospel to be spread? Look at Matthew 10, verses 11 to 14. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter. So where are they going? They are physically going into cities and towns. They are entering into these cities and towns. It says, Inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake the, off the dust of your feet. So, you know, in early Adventism, we talk about one of the early Adventist pioneers, Joseph Bates. When he went to Battle Creek, he went, I think it was he went into the post office, he asked them, who is the most honest man in town? And they told him, and he went and found that man, and he gave him the good news and the three, the, the messages about the Sabbath, and that man became an Ad, Seventh-day Adventist. But the how's the gospel to spread? We're, we're to go, see. We're to go into the cities, the towns, our neighborhoods. Um, Mark 6 and verse 7, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth two by two. And so, you know, we go out in pairs or, you know, in small groups. That's so that we can edify each other, build each other up. You know, uh, I was talking to a farmer one time, and and uh, this guy, when he was an older man, and he said he used to, you know, everything's tractors now, but he remembers when his grandfather used horses. And his grandfather would team up a young horse with an older horse. And he said, asked it, you know, why did he do that? And the answer was, well, the young horse is full of energy and he'll pull that that older horse along so he won't be lazy, make him work a little bit. And the older horse is experienced and he can hold back that uh, that younger horse from being rash and getting, you know, crazy. And, and uh, so they work together as a team. And often you see this in the gospel. You'll see a, an experienced brother or sister teamed up with an inexperienced one, and they help each other out. You see that in the gospel as well. But uh, um, you know, take some time and think about some ways that you can make contacts. You know, write down some ideas. You know, you know, you can go door to door. You can do mailings. You can use social media. You know, use the internet. Um, you can, you know, use radio or television or, you know, but a hands-on. Uh, experience, you know, with people you work with, you know, possibly. Um, that's really good, although you don't want to, you know, get enemies at the workplace necessarily, but I'll tell you this, people watch you. If you profess to be a Christian, they will watch you. They'll see if you live up and bear the fruit that you profess, just like they watched Jesus. And so we want to have Jesus in us and make a, 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 a fruitful profession, and be able to witness to them. I know someone who works in a factory uh, here, a friend of ours, and and he lets it be known that he's a Christian. And he, you know, they call him preacher, you know, they joke about him stuff, but he's told me that they'll come up by themselves, kind of like Nicodemus did with Jesus, you remember. They'll come up and they'll ask him spiritual questions. So people are watching. And let me tell you something else. You may not think they're watching, but if you mess up, uh, they'll come right out of the woodwork to point that out. So we need to make contacts. So take some time to think of how you can make contacts and pray about it. The Lord will help you. 
and guide you. Step three in the gospel cycle. And uh, boy, if we want to get through this, we need to move along. Uh, that is to introduce and lift up Jesus. This is step three. So you make a contact, then you want to introduce and lift up Christ. Question 12. How is Jesus to be introduced to others? In John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46. Notice this. It says, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now notice what Philip said to him in response. Philip saith unto him, Come and see. So, how is Jesus to be introduced to others? We need to have a personal invitation for them to come and see for themselves. This prophet, this savior, this Jesus of Nazareth. Now let me share this with you. It's from the Desire of Ages, page 141, about this, this incident here with Nathaniel. She says, if Nathaniel had trusted to the rabbis for guidance, he would never have found Jesus. It was by seeing and judging for himself that he became a disciple. So in the case of many today whom prejudice withholds from good, how different would be the result if they would come and see? While they trust to the guidance of human authority, none will come to a saving knowledge of the truth. Like Nathaniel, we need to study God's word for ourselves and pray for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. He who saw Nathaniel under the fig tree will see us in the secret place of prayer. Angels from the world of light are near to those who in humility seek for divine guidance. So, how is Jesus to be introduced? Friends, we got to kind of mingle. We need to be in the world but not of the world. We need to have personal invitations to come and for these people to see Jesus for themselves. Question 13. In John 12:32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. In what ways can Jesus be lifted up? So we introduce Jesus, and then how do we lift him up? Notice this. This is very interesting. This is one way. 1 Kings 13, verse 6, it says, And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand restored, uh, was restored him again and became as it was before. Um, because of time, I don't want to go into great detail about that. But we see here that, that if we speak with people and, and that we, pray, we can pray for people, intercessory prayer with them, that's one way that Jesus is lifted up to them. We pray for them. And then when they're healed, they'll have reason to praise God. Matthew 9.35, we read this before. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and disease among the people. Right? So we go and we do the works that Jesus did. Look at Acts 3 verse 6. Here's an interesting... This is what really what Jesus did. Um, but here's an example. Acts 3, verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So what Jesus did, and what we're to do, friends, we're to find this person's need, and we fill it with the fruit of God's Spirit. Okay? We Jesus went around 
healing diseases and such. He found a need. And he felt, when you find a person's need and you fill that need, they will gain confidence. They see that you're, you, you have a care for them. There's a compassion that you have. They begin to see Jesus in you, you see, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, another way that, that Jesus is lifted up, um, Mark 13 and verse 10, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. Now, the word published here means to herald. And this can be done, like I said, in many different ways. Personal invitations, you know. Uh, let's say to maybe uh, Bible seminars or different seminars, such as health and cooking classes. And that can be an entering wedge, you see, of the gospel. We're told that health reform is the right arm, you know. Uh, Bible studies, tracts, books, videos, audios. But finding a need, you know, helping them out when they need help. And gaining their confidence and then sharing these things. Step four in the gospel cycle. Get a commitment. You need to get a commitment. And this is very, very important. Um, Brother Skeet's going to talk about the amazing power of the tongue. You know, here in just a few minutes. But we need to get a commitment. There's something about us confessing or using our words and needing a response. And, and so he'll get in more of really great information about that. But how do we get a commitment? See? Question 14. How do we get a commitment? Look at Matthew 22, verses 41 and 42. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? That's the same question we can ask people. We can find their need, fill it, Broach the subject to Christ and say, hey, what do you think of, of Jesus Christ? And listen to what they have to say. And then it's very important to have this confessing, this, this uh, uh, sharing from our mouth. Because out of our mouth come the issues of life, right? Romans 10 verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So there needs to be an expression. Now, some people can't speak, but there needs to be an expression. See, we need to get a commitment. And this is something that, that uh, I try to do more and more and more. At the close of, of every uh, a message that I give, and, uh, or, or conversation sometimes, uh, try to get a commitment. <clears throat> now, let me share... Uh, a few things again from this is from Testimonies, Volume 6, page 6465. At the close of every meeting, decisions should be called for. At the close of every meeting, decisions. See, there needs to be a, a, a commitment, a call for a commitment to Christ. Here's one from Evangelism, page 283. <clears throat> if words are not spoken at the right moment, calling for decision from the weight of evidence already presented, the convicted one, ones pass on without identifying themselves with Christ. The golden opportunity passes, and they have not yielded, and they go farther and farther away from the truth, farther away from Jesus, and never take their stand on the Lord's side. See, sometimes people will, you know, it'd be, it, it, it's almost like Paul there, you know, and the response was, Thou almost persuadest me, but yet there wasn't a commitment. But it needs to be asked for. We need to ask, What think ye of Christ? Right? 
What think ye of this uh, particular uh, Bible topic that we're speaking of? What think ye about Jesus? Here's one more. Uh, manuscript 19b, uh, the year 1890. <clears throat> Each one should be asked how he is going to take these things, if he is going to make a personal application of them. And then you should watch and see if there's an interest in this one or that. Notice this. Five words spoken to them privately will do more than the whole discourse has done. So there's got to be that personal touch, that personal uh, contact, see? And and then got to ask. Ask for a commitment. And a lot of times, like she says, just five or six words. What you think? What think ye of Christ? You know, what do you think about this uh, uh, prophetic interpretation? What do you think of whatever the subject may be, the biblical subject? And so we must ask if they'll accept the free good news, you know, that Christ offers all. Step five in the gospel cycle. <clears throat> Educate in the school of Christ, which is the gospel. And this encapsulates uh, really quite a lot. We must teach and, um, you know, Train converts what Jesus wants us all to do. And there is a primary training for all, and there's a secondary training that's more uh, tailored for the individual, for each person. But uh, yeah, there's a there's a basic training, there's a um, advanced training, you could say. Question five: In the school of Christ, what subject are we to learn first? Well, in Matthew 11 and verse 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. The first subject we're to learn is to learn more and more about Jesus. You know the old hymn, More, more about Jesus. That's what we want. We want to learn more. That's the first subject. That's the primary subject. In fact, it's probably about the only encompassing subject that we have, but there are so many facets, see, uh, that uh, this is just a, a part of it. But it's it's that we need to learn of Christ. Notice this, Acts of the Apostles, page 18. For three years and a half, the disciples were under the instruction of the greatest teacher the world has ever known. By personal contact and association, Christ trained them for his service. And so this is what we will learn as we come into the school of Christ. More and more about Jesus. We'll learn of him. Question 16. One may ask, what all is to be learned in the school of Christ? Let's look at Luke 24 and verse 27. And now this is Jesus. This is on the road to Emmaus. And it says here, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So anything that's found in God's word is a part of our curriculum. It's what we will learn. And uh, as we learn more and more about Christ, we learn the different facets. And we're going to get into... Uh, how the Spirit, Holy Spirit, will bless us and train us as well in just a moment. But notice that Jesus, he started with Moses and went through all the prophets. You could say he taught the law and the prophets. <laughs> so everything that is in all the scriptures concerning Jesus is is our, like I said, our curriculum. 
This is from Christian Education, page 200. The follower of Jesus should be constantly improving in manners, in habits, in spirit, and labor. But this is done by keeping the eye, not on mere outward superficial attainments, but on Jesus, the model. A transformation takes place in mind, in spirit, and character. The Christian is educated in the school of Christ to cherish the graces of his spirit in all meekness and lowliness of mind. He is fitting for the society of heavenly angels. And so, as we think about this being being trained in the school of Christ, you know, members, they must have a daily training in Christ's school. Um, particularly, this is serious because uh, when you become a Christian and you're converted, uh, there's that enmity we spoke of um, in Genesis 3.15. God supernaturally puts that enmity in you, an enmity against Satan and his devices and against sin, you know, against unrighteousness. And so you will run into, almost immediately in many cases, those who are uh, gainsayers. You know, they're, they're the ones that are going to come after you. Uh, Satan's going to move them to come after you. So we need to have a daily training in the school of Christ in order to withstand those gainsayers, you know, those people who speak against the truth. All of us want to learn and, and to stand for the truth, too, okay? Every one of us. It's important for every one of us. Not just the ministers, you know, but every one of us. And... Uh, Peter talks about this. 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It says there, Peter says there, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. It's, it's as you learn of Christ, you become more and more sanctified, more, um, more holy. You say your character is changed more and more from unrighteousness to righteousness, more like Jesus. And then you become more and more ready to give an answer, you know, when people ask you, why do you believe that? Why, why are, what causes you to have faith? You know, any number of questions. You know, I've asked uh, several just church members uh, before, do you have confidence to give an answer when somebody asks you about your faith? And you'd be surprised how many shy away from it. And it's because this takes education, and, and, it, and it takes practice. And as you learn, the Lord's going to open up opportunities for you to gain uh, practice, believe me. Um, but it's all a part of the training we receive in the school of Christ as an individual. And, um, and also we receive that, can receive that training in the church as well, you know, a church where Christ dwells. And as we learn, the church was organized for service. It's to be a place of worship and education in the school of Christ. Too many see church just as a place to socialize and worship, don't they? But it's a school, you know, as well as a church where training takes place, or it should take place. And, uh, you know, as we talk about this training, there are two specific types of training for each one of us. As I mentioned, there's a basic general training. There's an advanced individual training, both of which are ongoing processes. For we never really <laughs> graduate from the school of Christ, friends. Throughout all eternity, we'll be in continuing a continuing education program in the school of Christ. 
learning and growing in wisdom and in knowledge on how to bring glory to God. And so there's a, a basic general training that consists of the fundamentals of the gospel. We, we learn to bear fruit for Jesus. Um, John chapter 15 verses 4 and 5, notice this. Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And so, in the basic general training, you learn how to abide in Christ, because the, the main goal, the object, is to produce, or bring forth, as Jesus says here, much fruit that brings glory to our Heavenly Father. And uh, so that's, that's the ultimate goal, is to bear fruit for the kingdom. And so we learn about Jesus in the school. We learn, you know, we give our hearts and minds over to His control, and we're taught sound biblical doctrines and principles and that's our basic general training. And it's in this basic training that we begin to learn how to, as Peter had said, to give an answer for our faith and our belief. We learn to give our testimony. We learn to share basic truths of the gospel. And this is part of that general training that we all must have before we you know, move on to the advanced training. Sometimes it's simultaneous. Uh, and and then you know then we can be placed really at the front lines of soul saving in whatever role the Holy Spirit has for us. Now, as we enter into the school of Christ, God gives us an incredible gift, and and uh, that gift is to help us learn about Jesus. It helps us to learn how to abide in Him, how to give an answer, how to produce fruit. In question seventeen. What gift do we receive from God as we enroll in the school of Christ? Well, in Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of what? That's right, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost, Peter says. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But ye shall receive power... He says there, power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That Greek word for power in this verse is dunamis. Our English word dynamite is derived from the Greek word dunamis. And this is a supernatural power. It's received only by those upon whom the Holy Spirit comes. And this power is for, it's for overcoming sin, and it's for witnessing uh, to, to all the world, is the ultimate goal, of the gospel of Christ, to give witness. It gives power within, power to proclaim the gospel, power to lead others to God. And it's this dynamite power. Like I said, along with God supernaturally putting this enmity within your heart, you know, as you're converted, he puts this this dynamite, this dunamis, this power um, from the Holy Ghost so that you can be witnesses for Him. Now notice this. John chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. 
For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So here Jesus is saying, you get this gift of the Holy Spirit. He brings power to your life, and he's going to lead you into all truth, because Jesus is the truth. He's going to uh, speak of those things pertaining to Christ. Whatever he shall hear, he shall speak of Christ. He's going to show us things to come. He'll prepare us. And with the Holy Spirit, we not only receive basic instruction, but as we grow with knowledge and experience, we received advanced training as well as he leads us into all truth. Now, Paul says something in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 I want to touch on uh, because I need to clarify something here that, that sometimes people get mixed up upon. But uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says in... <clears throat> uh, well, let's just start with verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, Notice this, verse 7. This is what I want you to pay attention to. He says, So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul talking about this gift? He says, So that ye come behind in no gift. And so we look at Something that Peter said, remember, Peter said, all who are converted receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? And Paul says uh, that with Christ in our hearts, we each, that's every converted Christian, receive grace and the spiritual gifts to help us in accomplishing the work of aiding him to save souls for his kingdom. We receive the fruit of Christ's character and, and the spiritual gifts of Christ to use in saving the lost. We also have talents that have their source in God. And uh, uh, some people don't think they have any talents or they think they may have just one talent. But I'll tell you, friends, if you, you really think about it and you study the Word of God, you'll find that God uh, has provided every one of us with a multitude of talents. But we use both spiritual gifts and talents um, uh, to, to further the kingdom of God, to reach souls. Question 18. What is the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and spiritual gifts. Now, this is something that we need to be clear about. For some, have two, uh, have the two confused, okay? And they think that the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are one and the same, and that's just not the case. So let's begin by looking at Galatians chapter five, where we learn about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians five verse twenty-two. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's Agape, that's a, a charity, a self-sacrificing love. And he says, it's joy, which means like a calm delight. He says, it's peace. That's a, 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 a prosperity, a quietness, a, a set at one again. Um, Paul also says, the, the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Well, that's, you know, um, perseverance. That's patience, a steadfastness. He says, it's also gentleness. Um, that's someone who's calm. Uh, that's kindness. Um, he says that it's goodness, faith, meekness, which is which is to be humble. It, it, it's a, a person who's meek is someone who doesn't um, retaliate right back. That doesn't you know um, seek to to respond quickly. Anything like it. They're very humble. They're meek. Uh, 
He says temperance. Fruit of the Spirit is temperance. That's self-control. And he says against such there is no law. There's no law uh, for this. Um, because you're actually living according to God's will. And he says, and they that are Christ's have crucified, crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so this is the fruit that is imparted when you have accepted Jesus and he's removed your sins. You see, he has removed the guilt from your heart. He gives you a new heart and he places his laws in your new heart. Now I want you to notice, and maybe you have it, did anybody notice that the the word fruit is in the singular? Did anybody notice that? Yeah, you yeah, you notice that? Yeah, there is but one fruit of the Spirit. And and that one fruit includes all of the Christian graces we just read. Okay? It's kind of like the tree of life. The Bible says it has manner of fruit on it. So there's one tree of life, but there's a very different amounts of fruit on that tree of life. Um, but so, in other words, all of these graces are to be present in the life of the Christian. And, and this fruit is the result of, like I said, the conversion experience of the believer in Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit also gives to each Christian at least one spiritual gift. Now, what are these gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well... Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is where Paul lays it out. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'll leave that up to you because we have you know, time constraints here. Um, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, now, in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. See, he wants us to know about spiritual gifts. Uh, look at, uh, let's go down to verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. The same Holy Spirit's the one who provides the gifts. Verse 5, and there are differences of administrations. That means ministries. There's different kinds of ministries. But the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations. That means different kinds of work within the church. But it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So it profits us to have these spiritual gifts and to use them. You see, Paul's saying that the manifestation of the Spirit is given not only to profit the individual... Um, or improve the individual to God's glory, but that these improvements will be seen by others showing that they have the Holy Spirit working in their life, and that's for the church. So we each receive at least one spiritual gift, and we use it to reach others. And in doing this, what do we do? We edify ourselves and the church, the church body. We increase its membership. We, we uh, help in perfecting its character that ultimately hastens the return of Jesus. Now, notice this, from Signs of the Times, September 19, 1900. Different gifts are imparted to different ones, that we may feel our need of one another. Isn't that interesting? So that we may feel that we have a need one for another. God bestows these gifts, and they are to be employed in his service, not to glorify the possessor, but to uplift the world's redeemer. They are to be used for the good of all mankind. God desires his people to help one another in the discharge of their various duties and in the faithful accomplishment of the work he has given them to do. And so you will continue to be trained by the Holy Spirit on how to use your gift if you use it. You know, honing your abilities to work for the Master. And as you grow, the Holy Spirit will impart more gifts to you. But if you don't use your spiritual gift, you will lose it. And this will eventually 
if he continues, will grieve away the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says is the unpardonable sin. Step six in the gospel cycle. Boy, I need to move along here. Step six, active hands-on service in sharing the gospel. A number of ways to share the gospel. You know, talking about evangelism. There can be health reform, missionary efforts, etc. Question 19. Is the minister the one who has the only responsibility of this hands-on service? Well, let's look at what Jesus said in Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who did he say it to? He said unto them. <laughs> Well, friends, how is every creature going to be reached if the work is left up to the minister? I'm telling you, it's just not going to happen. Notice this from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, page 30. Everyone who is added to the ranks by conversion is to be assigned his post of duty. Everyone should be willing to be or to do anything in this warfare. Here's one from the Desire of Ages, page 141. There are those who for a lifetime have professed to be acquainted with Christ, yet who have never made a personal effort to bring even one soul to the Savior. And that's why we, we find the church in the condition it's in. That's one reason. She goes on, she says, They leave all the work for the minister. He may be well qualified for his calling, but he cannot do that which God has left for the members of the church. So we all, as a body, have a work to do. Question 20, where are we to begin our hands-on effort? Well, look at Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? That's the same, it's a principle, see, that's being, being spoken of here. Who were the lost sheep of Israel? They were of the same spiritual body as the apostles and the disciples, weren't they? And so our work is to begin in the family. Notice, Maranatha, page 102. Our work for Christ is to begin with the family in the home. There is no missionary field more important than this. Isn't that remarkable? I'll share a quote with you in just a minute, but that helps that clarify that, helps it to make more sense. There's no missionary field more important than this. You see, we begin our mission efforts in our own home or with our family and then our church family, see? Seeking those who, who have been backslidden. And then as we're doing that, that'll ripple out naturally as long as we abide in Christ each day. It'll ripple out to our neighborhood and to you know, our sounds, towns and cities and across the world. You know, well, how do we do that? You know, well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he said, For the love of Christ constraineth us. You see, it's our love for Jesus that will push us to share the truth with whosoever we can. And, and I know it can be hard to start in your family, but depend upon Christ and the angels and Holy Spirit. They help. They will help you to share. And just by living what Christ would have you to live is a witness to your family. You know, Proverbs 22, verse 6, you know what that says, right? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. We're familiar with that. And so there's a training that's involved, and there's, there's a, a, where we start um, our hands-on efforts with this training is in the family, see? And here's this quote I was speaking of just a moment ago I want to share with you. The Adventist Home, page 319. In the home, the foundation is laid for the prosperity of the church. 
The influences that rule in the home life are carried into the church life. Therefore, church duties should first begin in the home. So see, the gospel starts with the individual. See, in our own hearts as individuals, and then it will ripple out to our family. And that is carried into the church. It's an indication of why our, the professed church is in such a terrible apostasy and condition it's in. You know that the home life of those members isn't as Christ would have it. You know there's a problem in the home. Okay? Question 21. Where else are we to use our hands on service? Luke 14, 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. So he's telling us that we go out. We start with our own home. We start with our church family. And then we go out. See, we ripple on out. Christ's Objects Lessons, page 228. The Lord calls upon his servants to carry his message to the people. The word of, of everlasting life must be given to those who are perishing in their sins. And then remember we read in Acts 1 verse 8 uh, about how we receive the Holy Spirit. And it says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, that could be like the home and your church, in all Judea, yeah, that's the church, in Samaria, see how it ripples out, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we begin with the family, the household of faith, our neighbors, our community, and so on. Question 22. Oh man, we're running out of time. Question 22. Should I let success or failure dissuade me from my hands-on efforts? You know, I'll talk to people, I'll talk to members, and the reason really when it boils down to why they're not active with this hands-on service is because they have no confidence. It's because they're scared. They're, there's fear involved, a, a fear of failure. And if they fail, they believe that they fail God. And, and, and that's just not the case. We need to understand something. Uh, Mark 9.23, Jesus said unto them, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. You see, the responsibility doesn't fall on us for the results. Jesus takes responsibility for the work. Notice, Acts of the Apostles, page 29. He made full provision for the prosecution of their work and took upon himself the responsibility of its success. This is Jesus. Speaking of Jesus. So long as they, that's the disciples, obeyed his word and worked in connection with him, they could not fail. And friends, they did not fail. If you look, Paul said that by his time, the gospel had been preached to every creature. The disciples went out all over the world and the work did not fail because they obeyed God's word, they worked in connection with him, and he took responsibility for it. Jesus Christ did. Christ's Object Lessons, page 333. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. That's remarkable. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are enablings. When Jesus asks us to do something, he gives us the power, that dunamis, that dynamite from the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. It's not up to us. We don't have to bear that weight of responsibility. Jesus takes all that. One more. Signs of the Times, March 7th, 1892. The Lord Jesus makes provision for the aggressive work and takes upon himself the whole responsibility of conducting the warfare, of supplying the needed qualifications, and he promises success. Let's trust him. Uh, very quickly. Step seven. Uh, make converts. Essentially, that's that you take those who are converted, because we don't convert people, the Holy Spirit does, but we take them, and the cycle starts over, doesn't it? We convert, we, they're converted, 
then, then teach and train new adherents in the good news. Question 23. How long are we to work the field and make disciples? Look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then verse 13 tells us how long. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until there's a generation of people, those who follow Christ, who have uh, been aided by the Holy Spirit, have reached character perfection that, so that their character reflects the character of Christ perfectly. And we're told that Jesus will then come. Matthew 24 and verse 14, we're familiar with this. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Well, friends, this is the gospel cycle. This will make disciples for Jesus until the end comes. Uh, and I'll close with this before we have prayer. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Friends, let's be active in uh, uh, putting into um, operation this gospel cycle in our homes, in our churches, in our neighborhoods. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to study about the gospel cycle, to study out of your Holy Word. We appreciate the Holy Spirit who's uh, helping to lead us into all truth today. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we may have these active hands that you call for and carry out the commission. Uh, give us courage and strength to do this. Uh, Father, also please give us of the Holy Spirit as we continue this Sabbath day to learn truths from your word. Be with uh, Brother John as he brings a message about the power, the awesome power of the tongue. Uh, may we have open ears to hear what the Spirit saith to the church. We thank you so much for Jesus, and we pray this in his blessed name. Amen.